0: There we go. Um, anyway, we are studying the book of John, and we're, we left off in chapter 10, where we learned about uh, Christ being the good shepherd. He's calling himself the good shepherd, the one that uh, is mentioned in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He claims to be that good shepherd. And uh, he's contrasting himself, this is the context of where we're gonna be, um, contrasting himself with evil or bad shepherds, wicked shepherds that don't really care about the sheep. Um, And he calls himself the good shepherd because he loves the sheep. And he says that he lays down his life uh, for the sheep, kind of predicting his cross and resurrection and what have you. He says that the sheep um, believers, which are people, Uh, are called by their each of them called by their name he calls them by name the sheep hear his voice his word the message of the gospel and they follow so um he gives them eternal life he mentions Um, pick it up in verse 16 those of you that are here say amen so i know you're awake good one and those of you on zoom wave or say amen even though i can't hear you okay great um so um he's going to make an astounding claim in this chapter, um, but let's dive in. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. We said last week that that is the Gentiles who will believe in the future, but I want you to notice he doesn't say I will have, in verse 16, other sheep. He says he's already got him. And that's where you're mentioned in this chapter because that's you if you're a Gentile and you're a Gentile means non-Jew. If you're not Jewish and you believe in the Lord Jesus, you are part of his flock, other sheep, not of this sheep pen. The sheep pen is Israel um, that he spoke of earlier. Um, he's going to bring them. They're going to listen to his voice. That's you and me. And there'll be one flock and one shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus Christ. The one flock is the Christian church universal on planet earth. So although we have divisions like Presbyterians and Baptists and Assembly of God and what have you, in heaven, don't get there and ask, where's the Presbyterian neighborhood? That's where I want to be. You're not going to find it, right? One flock, one shepherd. Um, Verse uh, 17, the reason the father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. Um, We talked about that last week as well. I'm just kind of giving you the backstory of where we are. Um, No one takes his life from him. He says in verse 18, he lays it down of his own accord. It's going to look like he's a helpless victim. And that's not the truth. He's actually Chosen the time when he will die on Passover as the ultimate Passover lamb, the lamb of God, it takes away the sins of the world. So he's saying he lays it down of his own accord. That's something almost anybody can do. You can lay your life down. If you wanted to die, you could go play in the freeway or jump off a bridge or something. But the next phrase, not anybody can do. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again, rising from the dead only he could say that. And that command he received from his father, he says, all right, we picked up in verse 19 where we left off. And not surprisingly, it says, at these words, the Jews were again divided. And you say, yeah, we know. That's been happening all through this book, hasn't it? And that's true for you and I. If you witness uh, to other people about the gospel of Jesus Christ, you'll find division. Some will receive it. Most may not receive it. Some may ridicule it. Jesus has always been a divisive figure uh, in human history. In fact, in human time, we divide time by BC before Christ, AD, uh, the year of our Lord, is what it means in Latin. So the Jews are again divided. He means the Jewish people here, verse 20. Many of them, here comes the division. Many of them said, verse 20, he's demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? Now, you have to look at that claim and say, based on what you know about demon-possessed people, does Jesus fit the MO of a demon-possessed person? I mean, if anything, it's the exact opposite, right? Forgetting the works that he did, the miracles, um, But just the incredible wisdom, the incredible peace that he shows and grace to people, this is not something that would be done by a demon-possessed man. Um, But these people are proving what chapter 10 said earlier, that they're not his sheep. They don't hear his voice. Hence, they think he's demon-possessed or he's raving mad. In that culture, some people saw those two things as one. Somebody that was mentally ill, they would call demon-possessed. You and I know that's two different things. It's possible to have a mental illness and not obviously be possessed by a demon. But they're putting the two things together and, and saying he's crazy and demon-possessed. Why listen to him? And, of course, the answer is because he's the living word of God, and turned, he is God, right? Um you have to say in verse nine, verse 20, sorry, to be fair, the sort of person that would say that he and God are the same. He's going to say in this chapter, I and the father are one. In chapter 14, he's going to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the father. He said in John eight fifty eight, I am the divine name. Remember that? So, you got to say that it is a possibility because someone that says they're God is either a lunatic, or a liar, or Lord. I didn't get that myself. That's a uh, C.S. Lewis came up with that little acronym, the L's. Actually, the full acronym is Legend, Liar, Lunatic, or Lord. Legend. There's virtually no historian that doesn't that that that's credible that thinks Jesus didn't exist, the human being. Pretty pretty much. No credible scholar believes that, which leaves liar, someone who knew he wasn't God, but was just saying that. Then you have to ask yourself, to what end? He's going to get killed and and die on a cross, beaten and whipped. If you were a liar, at that point, you would probably say, okay, okay, it was all made up, let me go, right? Um, If you're a lunatic, would he speak and act the way he does? Does it fit that he's a lunatic? Can only God heal blind eyes and raise the dead and receive forgiveness and worship and walk on water? The things he does make the second opinion better. Verse 21, but others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Just what we just said. Based on what this man does, you shall know them by their fruits, Jesus says. I think it's the Gospel of Matthew. You look at the fruit of the life of Jesus Christ and ask yourself, is this the life of someone that's demon-possessed or evil? If you look at the panoply of human history since the first century, literally billions of people have come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. The effect he's had on human society is incalculable. It's incredible. So um, one of the commentaries mentioned that if you are someone that more than most of us are a little timid about witnessing to other people, you know, talking to somebody at the grocery store, your old friend who calls you on the phone and you talk about Jesus, we are commanded to do that, by the way. It's not for the clergy. It's for all of us to do that. This is an encouraging verse. You say, really encouraging? Why? Because nobody bats a thousand. That means nobody gets a hit every single time, even Jesus Christ, right? He put the gospel out there, and there's people going, yeah, he's crazy, demon-possessed. If he didn't convince everybody, why do you and I expect that we're going to? In fact, narrow is the way that leads to salvation, and few there be that find it, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it. Translation, there's going to be more non-Christians who don't believe than there are ones that say, would you tell me more? This is really hitting a chord in my life. But we just have to put the seeds out there. Let God bring the increase. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? The obvious answer is no. Why would a demon do something good like that, right? Okay, verse 22, then came the feast of dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. So let's stop there, talk about the feast of dedication. Now, the Jews had various feasts. The feast of Passover, you've all heard of that. Okay. So this is the feast of dedication. You say, is that in the Old Testament? And the answer is no. Hmm. But they're there celebrating it. Yes. It's not in the Old Testament. This is what you and I would call, or your Jewish friends would call Hanukkah, feast of dedication. Third name for it, same feast, the feast of light or lights. Okay. What's going on here? Why isn't it in the Old Testament? The Old Testament is written by Moses and the others from the Old Testament up until about 400 BC. God has so had it with the Jews by then for their apostasy, their bad uh, conduct and behavior that he stops talking. God is silent for 400 and a little more years as a judgment on Israel. There are no prophets from 400 BC, roughly, until you get to John the Baptist as the next prophet. You with me so far? God is silent. That's called the intertestamental period, the period between the Old Testament and the New Testament that starts in around 27 to 30 AD, somewhere in there. In the intertestamental period, The Jews were constantly being overtaken by other nations. Remember when we studied the book of Daniel, that was around the 600s, but it went all the way up to around 150 BC. Israel kept getting taken over by other countries and they were all evil empires that took them over to varying degrees. However, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes of Syria in 164 BC, took over Israel, and he made the others look like they were kids in a playground. He was the worst of the worst. Most Bible scholars think he is a picture of the future Antichrist that will take over the whole world. Let me give you a little background. So the Jews get taken over by Syria. Antiochus, Epiphanes, claims to be God, by the way. He takes over Israel. He steals millions in gold and silver right out of the temple treasury. He def- he um, completely defrauds the whole temple and desecrates it by sacrificing what they would call an unclean animal, a pig, on the altar in right in the temple. He turns the temple, are you ready for this, into a house of prostitution. So if you're a Jew there and you're seeing your temple with all this stuff going on, he made the temple into a place where you would worship Zeus, uh, which is a mythological fake god, basically. Um, Sacrifices a pig. He passed his own, ready for this word, mandate. We're, the following mandates, are you ready for this? If you're a Jew and you are caught with scriptures, Old Testament scriptures, a, a scroll of the book of Isaiah, or any part of the Old Testament, you're to be killed. If you're caught circumcising your child, you're to be killed. He just takes Israel apart completely. He kills 80,000 Jews and sends about another 80,000 Jews into slavery, sells them into slavery. His name is stamped on coins then where it basically says Antiochus Epiphanes, a picture of God. In other words, that he's God. This is an unbelievably evil dude. So some Jews get together and, um, uh, And they stage what's called the Maccabean Revolt. This is what the Feast of Dedication is all about. They revolt using kind of guerrilla warfare, almost like Navy SEALs, Jewish Navy SEALs, if you can imagine, with the little hat on in the back. Anyway, they take their country back and chase this Antiochus Epiphanes out. They're so thrilled that he's gone, but then they realize, wait, we've had pigs sacrificed in the temple, if there's been prostitution in here, pagan worship for Zeus, we need to rededicate the temple to God. To do that, they want to light the temple um, menorah, which is a candlestick. You all have seen them probably before. The rule was you had to use the consecrated holy, if you will, oil that the priest's Had gone through a whole ceremony to make holy. They go back into the temple. There's no oil. They look and look and look and look. They find one little container of oil, which they know is enough to light the candlesticks for one day. The problem is, it'll take a week or two to get new oil, consecrate it, make it holy to God, and then use it They want to have an eight day celebration. Eight is the number in the Bible of new beginnings. Okay. Jesus rises not on the seventh day, but on the eighth day, first day, same thing. Um, Noah, eight people on the ark, new beginnings. So they've only got enough oil for one day, but it's an eight day rededication of the temple. So they light the menorah and they pray, and a miracle occurs. And the one day's worth of oil lasts for eight days, total miracle, they have no explanation for it, they give glory to God, it's a sign from them, it's the last great deliverance Israel has, symbolic of the hope they have that Messiah will uh, also bring deliverance, so the oil stays, somehow works for eight days, so many miles per gallon, so to speak, they got great mileage out of that one thing of oil, Um, so that's what this festival is about. The feast of dedication at Jerusalem. Between verse 21 and 22, three months pass. We were in the fall, now we're in the winter, he's about to say. So this is Hanukkah, the feast of lights. Jews celebrated by lighting candles or lights in their house to celebrate this. As I said, it's not in the Old Testament. Interestingly, in the whole Bible, the only person that is seen celebrating the Feast of Dedication, Hanukkah, is, wait for it, Jesus, because he's there for the Feast of Dedication. It's winter. It says at the end of verse 22, some scholars make an analogy that it was also winter spiritually a cold time, there's going to be coldness against Christ that's sort of being prophesied there, if you will. Okay. Verse 23. So Jesus was in the temple area, walking in Solomon's colonnade. So that is, he's. notice he's not teaching, he's just walking. Okay. And there's about to be an ambush. The Jewish leaders are going to surround him and ambush him, basically. Um, he's not teaching. He's simply walking there, uh, there for the celebration of the feast of lights or Hanukkah, if you will. Um, so, uh, the, they, so they're going to bring up a question to him. Um, that's on the East side of the temple complex, by the way, the so- Col- Solomon's colonnade, um, it's covered by the way. So in case it's raining, it's winter, if it's cold, um, He's not teaching in the out in the open. Verse 24, the Jews gathered around him. That's the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, Sadducees, and what have you. They sort of ambush him, saying, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you were the Christ, tell us plainly. Okay? So they're asking for him to really come out and say it in no uncertain terms. I'm the Messiah. Okay. Okay. Has he done that so far in the Gospel of John? Yes. In a roundabout way, maybe 30 times, I'm going to show you. But in a direct way, he's done it twice. But interestingly, he does it to a Gentile, a Samaritan, half-Jew, sort of, and um, to a kind of an outsider. But he has said it twice. Turn quickly to John 4 with me, if you will. John chapter. We're only going to be here a second. John chapter 4 is the woman at the well. Remember, kind of an adulterous woman. She's living with a guy that's not her husband. She's had a bunch of husbands. Verse 25 the woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. So, despite her pagan background of being a Samaritan, she's right she knows there's a coming Messiah. Messiah is Christ. Same word. Mashiach in Hebrew, Christos in Greek. I know that when Messiah, that he's coming, when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Verse 26. How clear is this? Verse 26. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am. The he is implied. He says, I am basically. He's telling her as plainly as you can get. I'm the one this is an outsider. He never tells the Jews in public, I'm the Messiah. You might ask, why not just come out and say it? We've talked about this before in the Bible study. In the Old Testament, there are two sets of prophecies about the coming anointed one, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of man, the son of God, the Deliverer. Set number one is about a conquering king who will sit on the throne of his father, David, and his kingdom will never end. He will punish the enemies of Israel and of God. He will reward righteousness. That's the guy they want. Okay. That's what Messiah will do in the second coming. But there's another set of scriptures. Um, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. We won't look at them now. We've looked at them before, That talk about another figure that's a suffering servant whose hands and feet are pierced. Psalm 21, the first verse, it opens with a bang. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a psalm from the first person written by somebody as if they're being crucified. David wrote it, I'm certain he didn't know what he was writing, but God, the Holy Spirit, was giving him the words. So there's the suffering servant guy who dies for the sins of his people, Isaiah 53. Then there's this conquering king. Which guy would you want? The dying, bloody Messiah or the conquering king that comes on the whoops on the white horse? They want the political leader. In John 6, do you remember? He multiplies the loaves and the fish, and they want to make him, do you remember, king by force. So he withdraws from them. If he announces he's the Messiah, they're going to put a crown on him, go, and let's get an army together and kill the Romans. He's going to say, I'm not here for that. I'm. This is the first coming. I come humbly. I die for the sins of the world. The second time he comes, he's not kidding around. Then he comes on a white horse, judges, does everything we said before, and ushers in the eternal kingdom of God and reigns on the earth. So. Does he say he's the Messiah? I showed you one instance. The other one is, um, gosh, I have it in my notes somewhere. Um, hmm. Um, Oh, he tells the man, uh, the man born blind, chapter 9, verse 35, John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. Remember, the blind guy gets thrown out of the synagogue. When he had found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Son of Man's the title of the Messiah in Daniel 7. Do you believe in him? Who is he, sir? Verse 36, the man asked, tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. So he tells a select few that he is the Messiah. He tells the disciples in the gospel of Matthew, if you remember, He asks them the key question that John answers. Who do men say that I am? Do you remember this passage? And they're kind of chuckling about it. Some think you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some think you're Elijah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And then in Greek, it reads like this. It's emphatic. But what about you? Who do you say that I am? And there's silence. And Peter speaks up and says, I believe you're the Christ, which means Messiah, the son of the living God. And, and Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. This wasn't horizontal, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you spiritually. He is agreeing. Jesus is saying, Ding, you got it right. You get an A for the day. Um, so he has said it before. Let's go back to John chapter 10. Um, are you still awake? Say amen. Okay, that was a little sleepy, but we'll take it for now. Um, <coughs> Um, if you're the Messiah, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, tell us plainly. Verse 25, Jesus answered, I told you. That's how it reads in Greek. I did tell you, but you did not believe. The miracles or signs I do or works in my Father's name, speak for me. They're asking for words. Say it. I am the Messiah. By the way, why are they asking this? So they can bow down and worship him and become followers? No. So they can go to the Roman government and go, guess what? He's claiming he's the king of Israel. That is the charge they eventually bring him up on. Do you remember? And they'll have him arrested and killed. I told you, but you don't believe. So the implied question is how, how did you tell us And the next sentence in verse 25 answers that question. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak for me. Okay, before we get to 26, which is a mind blower, let's stay with 25. He says, I already told you. Listen, just in the gospel of John, listen. He told them he's the one who came from heaven, John 3 and John 6. He told them that whoever believes on him has eternal life. John 3. He said, he told them he was the unique son of God, John 5. He said he will judge all of humanity, John 5. He said everyone should honor him, Jesus, the same way they honor God the Father. That's in um, John 5 also. He said in John five thirty nine that you search the scriptures because you think you have eternal life in those Old Testament scriptures. He says those scriptures speak of me he's saying you know the old testament your book it's all about me so um let's see he says in john 7 that he perfectly reveals the father he says in john 8 before abraham was i am that's the divine name of god um let's see he calls himself the son of man prophesied by daniel he says he'll raise himself from the dead that was earlier tonight john 1017. He calls himself the bread of life, the light of the world, the door, the good shepherd. John the Baptist calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He says, it's almost like, remember when you were a little kid and your mother says, how many times do I have to tell you? Right? I don't know if your mom said that, but mine did more than once. Um, To me, I was a slow learner. So the problem wasn't that he was unclear. The problem is that they're not hearing his words because they have hearts of unbelief on the one hand, but the next verse explains the real reason. Verse 25, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The miracles speak for me. In other words, you got to look at all the miracles, the healing, the raising from the dead, casting out of demons, um, healing and touching lepers, um, walking on the water, calming storms, put it all together and say, who else could do this except God, the Messiah? And the answer, of course, is nobody. So the miracles do speak for him, not with verb words, but they speak volumes, right? One A picture's worth a thousand words. How many words is a miracle worth? A hundred thousand? Here it comes, verse 26. But you, not, you do not believe because you're not my sheep or not of my sheep. Now you got to read that carefully because in your mind, you might be thinking the opposite. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. That's not what he says. He says, the reason you don't believe is you're not one of my sheep. Go stay in chapter 10. Um, and let's see. Um, uh verse yeah 10 that's th- okay 11. I am the good Shepherd the good Shepherd laid down lays down his life for the sheep um let's see verse 14 that's what I wanted I am the good Shepherd I know my sheep and my sheep know me okay you know who he is they don't because they're not his sheep you are his sheep evidenced by the fact that you know who he is um They will listen to my voice. There should be one flock and one shepherd. My sheep hear my voice. Um, So the reason they don't believe is they're not his sheep. Now go back to John 6 for a second. I know we covered this several weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Some people think it's controversial. Uh, To me, it's clear as can be. Um, He calls himself the bread of life in verse 35. Um, Verse 36 sounds like the same thing. Listen, but as I told you, you have seen me and you still don't believe. Verse 37. Well, who does believe Jesus? All that the father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So there's this picture of God the Father who's got this group of people. Not all living at the same time because you're in that group and so am I. And so were the Christians in the 13th century and in the 4th century and in the time he's talking, okay? And the Father, look at verse 37. All the Father gives me will come to me. Somehow God gave that group of people, including you, to Jesus. Now, the question is, out of that group, Joe, let's say it's a billion and a half people, okay? Let's say it's two billion people, all right? What percentage of the two billion people that the Father gives to Jesus are actually going to come to him? Verse 37. Every single one of them. Are you sure it's not like 98%? That would be a little more believable. Verse 39, same chapter, 6. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall only lose a few. Is that what it says? Most of them are going to come. All that the father gives me will come to me. Verse 37, verse 39. And this is the will of him who sent me that I shall lose none. So if it's 2 billion, how many people actually come of that 2 billion over the centuries? 2 billion, every single one, because you are, were his sheep somehow. Don't ask me to explain this. I don't understand it fully, but I believe it 100%. Ephesians 1 says, before God made the world, he chose us in him. But I didn't even exist then. My grandparents didn't even exist. You think God can't pull this off? Somehow he chose you and me to believe way back then before the foundation of the world it's another way of saying those are my sheep well so did he choose us because we were so much more spiritual than those other idiots no there's uh, why did he choose israel because it was the biggest most powerful wrong wrong he just chose him right does god have the right to choose yeah it's his football right when we used to play tag football at a friend's house if it was your friend's house if it was chris's house he gets to make the rules okay the bricks is out of bounds and the curb over here is out of bounds and the touchdown is my parents driveway over there okay it's his house it's his football his rules it's god's football he chose go back to john 10 um by the way verse 40 of the chapter six says he's going to raise every single one of them up at the last day go back to john 10 And it's important that you stay awake. Um, The reason you don't believe is you're not my sheep. That's how it's not the opposite. You're not my sheep because you don't believe. It's you don't believe because you're not one of my sheep. Look at the next two verses. This is, and again, some people find this controversial. I don't think it's controversial at all. This is the doctrine of the eternal security of the believer. Meaning what? Meaning that if someone is truly born again and saved and has eternal life, they cannot lose their salvation. Verse 27, my sheep, that's you, that's all Christians who have ever lived, listen to my voice. Let's stop right there. I don't mean an audible voice, right? There's medicine for that if you're hearing voices but anyway i mean they hear jesus's voice ken held up his bible in the word of god in a sermon that's preached in a bible study that's preached right that is accurate with the word of god people that are his sheep hear the voice and go that's him that's what you're talking about you're talking about the real jesus my sheep hear or listen to my voice I know them, and they do something else. They follow me. It's almost like they can't help it. Right? You can resist for a while. I I did. Um, In the nineteen seventies, God said, "I'm reeling you in. I'm drawing you. Come here." very patient with me. If I was God, I would have hit me with a bat over the head. Okay. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. They follow me. Here it comes. I give them temporary life until they sin and then they lose it. Is that what it says? I give them eternal life. How long does eternal life last, cat class? Eternally. So if you have eternal life on Thursday could you lose it Friday? Well, if you did, then it wasn't eternal life, right? I give them eternal life and they shall never perish ever. Here it comes. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No one. Okay. So whose hand are you in? Jesus's. What would it take to snatch you out of Jesus's Somebody stronger than Jesus, maybe the devil. No, Jesus is constantly rebuking the devil and saying, Get lost, and he gets lost. Okay, well, maybe it could be God the Father. Next verse. My Father, who has given them to me, the sheep, is greater than all. What does that mean? There's no one more powerful, right? Who's more powerful than God? No one is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my. Father's hand. So whose hands are you in now? Jesus's hand below, Father's hand above. You got the picture? To snatch you out of Jesus' and God the Father's hand, it would take someone more powerful than Jesus and the Father put together. Who would that be? No one. I always bring this up because people always say, yes, but what if I mess up? What if I sin? Oh, you're going to sin, right? Welcome to the club. But what if you do? First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But what if I just go off the wagon and completely leave Christianity and, and just go become a heroin addict on the streets and I die out there and I never? First John 2 says the people that do that, that go out from God and never return, they were never really saved because the mark of a sheep of God's is when he strays, guess what? The shepherd who's good leaves the 99 and goes after the one that's you and might spank you and get your attention and bring you back. There were rare instances, this is a little weird, but it's true, where shepherds would go find the fleeing sheep. Usually, he'd catch it, put it on its, on his shoulders, hold the legs, and walk him back to the fold. You with me? But there were rare instances where sheep were so obstinate, were so rebellious, were so hyper that he could barely catch them, And when he did, they'd wiggle away and the sheep would have its legs broken by the shepherd in order to save the one leg, she's saying. Yeah, you're probably right. So that for his own good, now I can bring you back to the fold. My old pastor in Twin Lakes Church in Santa Cruz used to say, what does God have to do to get your attention? He had a kind of a weird voice. Anyway, is, is it, does he have to break a leg to get you back? The point is, if you're truly his sheep, look at verse 27. You will listen to his voice. You will be known by God and you will follow Christ. They follow me. I give them eternal life, 28. They shall never perish no one can snatch them out of my hand. So the question comes up, okay, no one, so you couldn't snatch me out of Jesus's hand. And, and Boyce, you couldn't either. And Diana, you couldn't either, or the other Diana, you, you couldn't snatch me out of God's hand or Christ's hand. But could I, by my conduct, snatch myself out of God's hand? What does it say? No one Can snatch them out of my father's hand no one can snatch them out of my hand are you someone yes then you can't even snatch you out of god's hand because you'd have to be stronger than god to pry his hand away and run away can't do it no one absolute eternal security of the believer listen i don't know why people find this controversial to me it's so comforting to me it says that I can slip and fall on the ark. Remember Noah's ark? And God will pick me up, maybe reprimand me. And Noah could slip on the wet surface of the ark, but he couldn't fall overboard. If you read the way that ark was built, who closes and locks the door when they start floating away? God himself. So Noah could slip on the ark He could never fall overboard, and he didn't. How many were on there? Eight, and a bunch of animals. How many made it through? All eight people, right? Eternal security of the believer. No one can snatch them out of my my father's hands. If you're old like me, and you remember the Allstate commercial, you're in good hands, and it was a logo was two hands. You're in really good hands, right? It doesn't depend on your behavior to keep yourself saved. We are to obey. We are to submit. We are to humbly walk with our God. When we mess up, we confess our sins. You can't lose your salvation. He's got you on a short leash. For me, a really short leash, and it's a good thing. Um, Beautiful verses, I think. Some people have a hard time with this. I don't know why, but what he's saying here is that, uh, by the way, it's a double negative in Greek. Never, never perish is something like what it reads. He's not going to lose not even one. Turn quickly to John 8, 52. Let me show you one other quick thing. Since you asked, just just kidding. Um, mm, um, let's see. No, that's not the right verse, is it? Hmm. Uh, Um, Yeah, that's, I went 851. I tell you the truth. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. We pass from this life to the next. And it's a glorious graduation. It's not the horrible fear that people have of death. In any case, um, one other place to go is John 17. I know we're skipping ahead here, but this keeps you awake by turning the pages. John 17 the whole chapter pretty much is Jesus praying to the Father, and we get to eavesdrop. John 17, um, look at verse 12, Jesus praying to the Father. He's talking about the believers. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. He means Judas, who, by the way, is an example of Someone that departed the faith and never believed. He was a thief. Satan entered him. That proves that he wasn't saved. Um, So, um, yeah, we already talked about that. Uh, Okay. This is an interesting verse. Same chapter 17, talking about the believers. Uh, Pick it up in verse 7. Seventeen seven. seven. I have revealed you to some random people. No, nope. To those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, God, the father, and you gave them to me, Jesus, and they have obeyed your word. Now listen to this. Now that they know, now they know, sorry, that everything you've given me comes from you for i gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them they knew with certainty that i came from you because they are sheep and they believe that you sent me here comes verse 9 watch this i pray for them them who his sheep all who will believe the ones that are with him in that upper room and you and me and everybody since or after i pray verse 9 for them look at what he says it's amazing i am not praying for the world. But for those you've given me, for they are yours. God has certain people that are his. Now listen, you may say, you may hear this and say, well, then why witness? Why do I even bother? He's got certain sheep, they're going to come to him anyway, and the other ones aren't. And the reason that you witness, because you don't know who his sheep are. If you saw me in the 1960s and 70s, you'd go, oh, don't even bother with him. Seriously, forget it, right? The sheep don't have sheep tattooed on their foreheads. So you go, oh, he's one. I'm going to go witness to him. Oh, she doesn't have the tattoo. I'm not going to go witness. You just cast the seeds and let God do the work. And somebody did with me. And I fought it for a while, but here I am. And here you are. Amen. Some of you have worse backgrounds than me. I can tell by looking at some of you. Okay. Especially, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, so you're in good hands, the, the hands of omnipotence, absolute absolute power, God's absolute power. Therefore, and then we'll take our two minute break. Therefore, Now I have your attention. Therefore, if you're in that good of a grasp, where there's no way he's gonna let go of you, God the Father and Jesus, what are you worried about? In the grand scheme of things, a trillion years from now, you'll look back on the days you were worried and go, What was I even worried about? The guy with the mustache said, God had a hold of me and wouldn't let me go. And for once, he was right. Why was I so worried about falling off overboard when there was no way I could? Let's take our two-minute break, stretch your aging bodies, and those of you at home, do the same. I'm going to turn my camera off. I'll be back in two minutes. Don't go away. All right, welcome back. Find your seats, if you will. Thank you. Find your seats back there, if you will. Uh, Somebody asked me during the break, Kathy asked me, um, where do we find out about the Maccabees thing and the oil and all of that? In the Catholic Bible, they have what's called the Apocrypha. They have the whole Old Testament, they have the New Testament, and they have, I can't, I can never remember. Is it 11? Anybody know? Is it like 11 books? Anybody know? Apocrypha? No. Is it only five? I thought it was more than that. It's either nine, 11, 13. It's an odd number, I thought. Well, anyway, well, five is an odd number. In the the book of 1st and 2nd Maccabees is where you find this information. Is the Apocrypha inspired scripture? No. The Jews themselves don't accept those books as inspired Bible books, but are they historical and accurate? For the most part, yes. Um, So that's where you find out about that, as well as Bobby Joe asked about the oil. Same thing. Okay. Are you still awake? Say amen. 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 Oh, that was a better one. All right. And those of you on Zoom, are you still with me? Okay. There's always one or two people on Zoom that are like this, but anyway. You know, that couch is just too comfortable, you know? All right. Even here, I see that now and then. Okay. So we, we've been through the eternal security thing, uh, 28, 29, verse 30. Now he drops the bombshell. What did they ask him for? Just tell us if you're the Messiah. In verse 30, he says, I'll go you one better. I and the father are one. One. Now, there's been people over the centuries that have looked at that and said, you know, he doesn't mean he's God there. He just means we're one in purpose. We're, we're one. We're working together as one. They say that to basketball teams. I want you to play as one, one member, one team. We're just unified in purpose and in agreement on the scriptures and uh, forget it. And here's why. Look at the next verse. Again, the Jews picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any of these, verse 33 replied the Jews. But for what class? Blasphemy, that's saying you're God. How did they understand it? We'll get to those verses in a second. I just wanted to show you that. Verse 30, I and the father are one. Okay. So what he's claiming there is nothing less than that saying he is God. Okay. But here's where it gets complicated because you and I have finite, limited minds. Okay. And we think in terms of finite things. When's the end? Where was the beginning? God has no beginning, God has no end. Look at space, okay? You ever look out at space and think, you know, way out there, there must be like a wall and that's it. Right? But if there is, what's like Diana's going, yeah. But what's on the other side of the wall? More space. We can't comprehend some infinite things about the creation, let alone with our finite man's minds understand God. The doctrine of the Trinity is clearly taught in the Bible. What's the doctrine of the Trinity? Three planks. They're very simple. Plank number one, all through the Bible, there is only one God. You say, okay, now I'm confused because he's God and the Father's God. That, Doing math, let me get a calculator, that would be two gods. No. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one Lord. So, Plank number one of the Trinity is there's only one God. That's all there is, okay? All the other pagan religions were mono, uh, were not monotheistic one God. They were polytheistic many gods. You've got a God of the sun, a God of sex, a God of wine, a God of business, a God of money, the God of pleasure, the God of you name it. They had a God for it, right? The God of maroon chairs they probably had somewhere. Um, okay, so there's only one God. That's the first thing. There's three world religions that are monotheistic, one God. Judaism, Christianity, and believe it or not, Islam, Muslims. Their God, Allah, is not the God of the Bible. Easy to prove based on their characteristics. But anyway, there's one God, plank number one. Plank number two, within the nature of the eternal one God, there's three personages. The three whose are the one What you say, okay, now I'm really confused. Me too. There are verses that say the Father is God, there are verses, a ton of them, that say Jesus, the Messiah, is God. There are verses that say the Holy Spirit is God, okay, and yet the three what's are the one who, one God revealed in three persons. Okay. Now there's all kinds of analogies for this and they all fall short. Okay. I'm going to tell you what I think the best one is. I've said this to you before, most of you know it. And that's the analogy. Picture yourself in your kitchen and you got a big pot on the stove full of water. Got the picture. The lid is off. The water is just coming to a boil. Chemically, what's in the pot? H2O. You with me? H2O is water, right? It's starting to boil. Oh, look, it's boiling so much, steam is starting to come off the top of the water. Oh, now there's two things in there, water and steam, a liquid and a gas. But chemically, it's still H2O. At a precise moment, when the water's boiling, water steam, which is a gas, you throw in a block of ice, which is a solid. Now you got a solid, a liquid, and a gas. Three things, but chemically, they're all H2O. Is that a great analogy? No. (laughs) None of them are. The egg, the shell, the yolk, get out of here. I hate that one. That's the best one I know. Okay. They're all, it's all H2O. Let me show you another way nature loves the number 3 have you ever noticed that watch all of creation is space matter and time that's it ask a physicist they'll tell you space matter time each one of those that's 3 those of you that are mathematically challenged each one of those is a 3 space length width depth What do you know? Three. Okay, time, past, present, future. Matter, solid, liquid, gas, right? Um, Atoms are, um, I'm going to mess this up if I don't, protons, neutrons, electrons. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I think the triune God created the world to reflect his glory. Now turn all the way back to Genesis with me to Genesis chapter one. Why are you doing this, Joe? Because the Trinity is one of the essentials that you have to believe in the Bible. Okay. I want you to see, before I tell you this, I want you to know that there is uh, some bad teaching in some Christian churches about the Trinity. By the way, all the cults and all the other world religions deny the Trinity, uh, including the Muslims. Um, let's see. So there is a thing called, um, t- two things, um, Arianism and Sabellianism. and I don't want to get them mixed up. Okay, there were some who believed in the centuries following Jesus's life on the earth that he was a great teacher but he wasn't God. Okay. Uh, And that is Arianism. Okay. Great man. He wasn't God. There were those first John, uh, John writes first John to combat another teaching. That's the opposite that he was God, but he wasn't a man. Okay. He's both fully God, fully man. Um, Okay, so Genesis 1, you're saying, why did you have us turn here? I'm not sure. No, just kidding. Um, I want to show you a weird verse. By the way, in the first verse, Genesis 1, 1 is, in the beginning, God. That's the word, okay? The word in Hebrew for God, listen, is L, E-L. If you speak Spanish, it's the word the in Spanish, right? E-L in Hebrew is God. In the beginning, God, no. What do you mean, no? It's not E-L there. It's Elohim. When you add the I-M, it makes it plural. Are you saying Elohim is a plural word? Yes. More than two. They have a word for two. Like both, we have that word. Okay. So somehow there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, God. A plurality of gods, and yet there's only one God. Now I'll show you the weirdest sentence in the book of Genesis, which is verse 26, chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Okay, so stop right there. Let me read it again like this watch. Then God, Elohim, then God, plural, said, Let us plural make man singular in our plural image singular are you confused now which is it like some somebody back there went i'm not confused good let us father son and holy spirit he can't be talking to the angels because the man would be made in the image of angels because whoever this is we're made in that person's image then god said let us plural, make man singular in our plural image, in our likeness. God, three in one. Okay, what are the three planks again? I've only done two. There's only one God. Three personages are called God in the Bible, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Here comes the third one where people get tripped up. The three beings, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are eternally distinct, separate. What do you mean? I mean Um, It's not the case that there's um, oneness Pentecostals believe this and T.D. Jakes, if you ever see him on TV, he's anti-Trinitarian as well. He believes in modalism. What's that? You say modalism is once upon a time, there was God, the father. That's it. No Holy Spirit, no Jesus, no second person of the Trinity, no son of God, just God, the father, God, the father saw that there was trouble on the earth and said, I'm going to take off my God, the father costume and put on my Jesus costume. And he became Jesus. You with me? And Jesus came to earth. And while Jesus was on the earth, there was no God father in heaven. No Holy spirit. Once Jesus was done with his work and rose from the dead, he turned into the Holy spirit. Okay. So it's like you go to a play with its low budget and you know, I'm going to be an actor in the play, but it's so low budget that I, in the first scene, I'm playing the mayor with a big hat on and a black coat. And, and then the fourth scene, I come out as the old beggar. And you go, oh, that's Joe again. He's playing a different role. Okay, is that what's going on with the Trinity? No, because the Trinity, the father loves the son. The father speaks to the son and says, this is my beloved son, Jesus Christ, in whom I'm well pleased. Whenever there's an important event that occurs in the Bible, have you ever noticed, all three show up? Really, like what? Creation. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God the Father's there creating. Got it. John 1, verse 3. Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, created everything that was created. Oh, so he was there too. Back to Genesis 1. Verse two, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. It's a big deal. It's creation. They're all there. The um, oh, we have to go to Luke for this. Go to the Gospel of Luke. So that's take a left at um, this Gospel. I just have to find the verse because it's here somewhere in my notes. Um, oh yeah, here we go. Okay, Luke one thirty-five. Now the teacher has to find Luke. That's not near Genesis luke chapter one so from john take a left john one i'm sorry luke one verse 35 watch this all three father son holy spirit in one verse watch luke 135 mary's been told you're gonna have a baby and she's saying what what say what verse 35 the angel answered the holy spirit third person of the trinity will come upon you. And the power of the Most High, God the Father, will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born, second person of the Trinity, there they are, all three of them. Did you catch that? What other important events are you talking about, Joe? The baptism of the Lord Jesus. Do you remember? John the Baptist baptizes him. Who goes under the water? Second person of the Trinity, Jesus, right? That's one. Who speaks from heaven? This is my beloved. I should do it with a British accent, right? This is my beloved son. In who, I... who speaks from heaven? First person. They can't be the same person. He's talking from heaven. He's under the water. What about the Holy Spirit? Descends in the form of a dove and lands on Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Who raised Jesus from the dead? That's resurrection. That's a big deal. Jesus says he raises himself. John 2. And I have the power to lay down my life and take it up again. Jesus raised himself. But in Romans, it says the Spirit raised Jesus. And in the same book of Romans, it says the Father raised Jesus. Okay, now I'm getting a headache. Which is it? God raised Jesus. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Within the nature of the one God, there's three personages. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are all God. They all share the same nature and attributes. They love each other. They communicate with each other. The father sends the son. A son sends the Holy Spirit down to the earth once he's paid for the sins of the world so that he can live inside of each one of you. Do I fully understand this? No. Is it in the Bible clearly taught? Absolutely. Um, okay. So they're not the same person. Oh, the Great Commission, going to all the world, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit coincidence, the name singular of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the name of God. Um, we already talked about that and the conception. Okay, we beat that dead horse, didn't we? Um, and we talked about the pot of water. Yeah, and um, we won't go into all of that, but it's in the notes. Um, Th- Thomas in John twenty twenty eight calls Jesus, my Lord and my God. Do you remember that? If Jesus isn't God, his line should be, oh, no, 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 don't call me that. That's reserved for God. He receives worship. Um, All the cults deny the Trinity. If you study the cults as I have, most of them, listen, have their own. Yes, we believe the Bible, but we also have this book or these books. Mormons have four books, the Bible and three other books. Jehovah's Witnesses have the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, which they take as gospel, what they say is right. They also, the cults, always demote Jesus. They lower him down, raise up Mary, raise up other people. Jehovah's Witnesses think Jesus is the Archangel Michael, You see how the devil has infiltrated religion to just skew things and mess things up enough to get you off track. Okay. Um, I'm not going to go into all these verses. We'd be here until Thursday and nobody brought a sleeping bag. So let's keep moving. Shall we? Um, Okay. So back to the text, John 10, you remember John 10, don't you? I am the father. R1. Do the Jews understand what he's saying? Absolutely. They pick up stones. John MacArthur pointed out that the temple was still being under construction in certain areas. There was plenty of stones around. They pick up stones to stone him for blasphemy. Watch what Jesus says. Verse 31, they pick up stones. 32, Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the father. For which of these do you stone me? kind of sarcastic don't you think It's almost funny to me was it the raising of the dead guy or the healing of the lepers why are you stoning me what miracle didn't you like that i did in other words he's saying like he just said the miracles speak pretty loudly are you not listening what miracle are you stoning me for by the way does jesus seem afraid here a little no Why? Because he knows there's an allotted amount of time. This is going to come up in chapter 11. There's an allotted amount of time for him. And until that time is up, he is impervious to any harm to death. You could run him over with a truck and he would get up and dust himself off until God is done with him. And you, whatever your time is, is your time. We need to use the time wisely not be cocky about it and go play in the freeway because you might get hit by a bus because it is the end of your time. But Jesus knows not until Passover, which is three or four months from now, that's when my time is. So he's not afraid at all. So he says, what miracle are you stoning me for? Verse 33, we're not stoning you for any of these, replied the Jews, but for blasphemy. Notice how much they understand. Watch. Because you, a mere man, make yourself out or claim to be god outlandish claim you have to admit right if anybody today walked in here and said i'm god of course we would know it's pretty much sure it's not true but you would think or ask prove it right could they well not right now see i don't uh, i don't prove myself to people that come on He proves it over and over and over. All the things he does, giving sight to the blind in the Old Testament is only the work of God and the Messiah. Which is he? Both. They know, the Jews get it, that he's claiming to be God. Do they believe it? No, they do not. Um, So what you're seeing here is the ultimate um, official um, rejection by the Jewish leaders of their messiah the one that came to save them he's rejecting he's rejected um notice verse uh, 33 you being a mere man they know he's a real man they don't like the god part he's proven both verse 34 this is a little weird just want to warn you verse 34 <clears throat> jesus answered them <clears throat> pardon me is it not written in your law I said, you are gods. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken. What about the one whom the father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why then do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because I said, I am God's son. You say, what? Keep your finger in John and turn to Psalm 82. 82. So Psalms is roughly the middle of the Bible. If you just pick the middle, you'll come to Psalms or Isaiah usually. Go to Psalm 82. I'll give you a second to find it. Psalm 82, right after Psalm 81. Psalm 82, Jesus does not cherry pick this one verse out of context. As a matter of fact, He's going to use the context to send a little message to these heretic Pharisees. Okay, Psalm 82, it's only eight verses. God presides in the great assembly, verse one. Who presides? God. He gives judgment among the small g gods. In the Bible, often people that are rulers or have authority over others to judge and determine their future are called God's little G. It doesn't mean we're deity. God presides in the great assembly. He gives judgment among the gods. How long, he's talking to the religious leaders, God is, how long will you defend the unjust, If defend sinners, in other words, and show partiality to the wicked? He's, he is exposing wicked judges, so-called God's small g. Defend the cause of the weak and fatherless, verse 3. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the weak and the needy. All this stuff Jesus does. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. They know nothing. They understand nothing. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. I said, you are God's. He's talking about the judges of the Old Testament, but about all Jewish religious leaders in the sense that they are small G gods. They exert great influence over others and have power over them. I said you are gods, you are all sons of the Most High, but, verse 7, you will die like mere men it's a judgment on these judges. You will fall like every other ruler. Rise up, O God. Judge the earth, for all the nations are your inheritance. Okay, go back to Gospel of John now, and we'll put this together. They're mad at him because he called himself God, right? Picked up stones. He quotes Psalm 82 to them. Double meaning. Number one, there, God does call human beings God's small g. Second thing, he's Saying, look at the context, boys, of Psalm 82. It's a psalm where God is judging the leaders of Judaism harshly because they're phonies, they're wicked, they don't rescue the weak and the needy, etc. So, isn't it written in your law? He's going to quote the Old Testament. I said you were, I've said you were gods. If he called them gods, To whom the word of God came, meaning the judges were those that received the word of God and then were to pass it on to others like the Pharisees are. You with me? Okay, there's another double meaning here. What did it just say? He called them gods to whom the word of God came. Double meaning. Do you mean the scriptures? Yes. The prophecies? Yes. But standing before them the guy they're about to throw stones at is the living, breathing Word of God, capital W, right? He's the Word of God incarnate. That was John 1, remember? Uh, The Word became flesh and all that. If he called them gods to whom the Word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, what about the one whom the Father sent? He's saying it's an argument from the lesser to the greater. It's like saying, if you wasted the $5 I gave you, why would I give you a 1000 okay, from the lesser to the greater? If he called them gods, and they were mere men, and they were wicked, what about, I'm skipping, the scripture cannot be broken, we'll come back to it. What about the one, he means himself, whom the Father set apart, sanctified as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you then accuse me of blasphemy? In other words, he's saying, it's clear I am the one that God sent. But I want to zero in on those words at the end of verse 35. Do you see them? And the scripture cannot be broken. Do you see that? If somebody asks you, what do you think about the Bible? How how true do you think it is? You know what the right answer is? I go with what Jesus said. What was Jesus's view of scripture? Most of it's correct. Half is correct. There's a lot of mistakes, a lot of stuff that we should throw out. The scripture cannot be broken, annulled, changed, proven untrue. Um, Not one jot or tittle of the Old Testament will pass away until everything's fulfilled. What does Jesus believe about the Bible? Old Testament and new. I'll show you in a second. He believes the whole thing is 100% God breathed. That's what inspired means. Okay. But John wrote John and Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah and Moses wrote Genesis. Yes, that's true. And the Holy Spirit breathed every word into them. They wrote in their own styles and yet every word's true. Every single word. You can trust the book on your lap right now. A hundred percent not mostly. By the way, it's not a smorgasbord. You don't get to pick. I really don't like this whole chapter. I don't. I just don't believe that, but I like the, you got to take the whole bit, right? The whole, every last word is God breathed. The more I study the Bible, the more I am convinced of this. I gave a sermon at three different churches. Um, it's probably been 11, 12 years uh, ago when I was in my 20s. Anyway, um, (laughs) why are you laughing? Um, And it was, how do we know the Bible is true and inspired? The manuscript evidence is so over the top, a sure thing. A, archaeology has never disproved any single thing in the Bible ever, but it's proved things that people thought weren't true. P, predictive prophecy. If the Bible's not God's word, how do you explain the thousands of things that are predicted that come to pass perfectly? Well, maybe they're just vague prophecies. And you know, I could make a prophecy right now. You ready? Some of you in this room are going to see a white car tomorrow. Thank you very much. You know why you're laughing? Because it's just stupid. Of course, this white car, you own a white car, Joe. Okay, I do. But what if I said, this thing is going to happen and gave specific details. That the Messiah is going to have his hands and his feet pierced. um, That none of his bones will be broken, yet they usually broke the bones, the legs of a crucified victim. His side will be pierced. Um. He'll be betrayed by a close friend for 30 pieces of silver, which will be used to buy a potter's field after it's thrown into the temple. The person that betrays him will be a close friend again, with whom he will dip his bread. Remember? Um, All of his disciples will be scattered You could go on and on. There's 330 Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that Jesus fulfills in his time on earth. Born of a virgin, born in Bethlehem. What a coincidence it all came true. It's not a coincidence. God knows the end from the beginning, right? He makes it all happen. In any case, Jesus's view of scripture, the scripture cannot be broken. If that's true, then when you read the book of Revelation and you read Matthew 24 about the end of the world, about the Antichrist, about all this other stuff, you can't allegorize it and say, well, maybe that's just symbolic and it means, no, it means what it says. Notice that the scriptures that predicted the Messiah, I'm sure there were rabbis that went, hmm, born in Bethlehem, born of a virgin. What could that mean? Maybe symbolically it You know what it meant? He was born in that little town of Bethlehem, just outside of Jerusalem, and his mother was a virgin. That's what it meant. Literal, right? Okay, you beat that dead horse, Joe. Move on. All right. Um, So he says, why do you accuse me of blasphemy? Because he can't blaspheme if he's God, can he? Verse 37, but do not believe me unless I do what my father does that's an unbelievably bold claim. He's saying, don't believe in me unless you can look at my life and go, he does exactly what God does. You say, well, what did he do? God created, right? When Jesus touched blind eyes and made them see, he's creating new eyes. When he touched legs that had never walked and the guy gets up and walks, not with therapy, 19 weeks with crutches and He just gets up and walks. He's created new muscles, legs, tendons, nerves, everything, right? When he calms the storms, only God can do that. He's saying, look at my life. Don't believe me unless I do what my father does. Verse 38, but if I do it, even though you don't believe me, believe the works. Believe the miracles that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I in the father. He's saying the reason these I can pull off these miracles is not because I'm David Copperfield, a great magician. I'm not an illusionist. It's because God is in me and I'm in the Father. Pretty amazing. Verse 39. So they arrested him and put him in jail. Nope. They tried. Verse 39. Again, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. Remember what I said? If it's not his time... He has total immunity. They can't catch him. Now, how many of them were surrounding him? Let's say it was 12 against one, and they try to grab him. You mean to tell me that one guy could elude the grasp of 12 men? Yes, because it was, wasn't was his time. They couldn't grab him for whatever reason. A total miracle. Verse 40 and, uh, and 41, and we'll quit. This is interesting. So they just do not believe they're not as sheep they have hard hearts they can't hear the voice of the shepherd verse 40 then jesus went back across the jordan to the place where john had been baptizing in the early days here he stayed and many people came to him they said though john never performed a miraculous sign all that john said about this man was true and in that place many believed There's a contrast here between the gross unbelief in Israel, in Judaism, in Jerusalem. He goes across the Jordan, kind of out in the boonies to where John was baptizing, where, by the way, they had no jurisdiction. And people are totally believing in him. Um, He's outside the camp of Israel, outside of Jerusalem. It's a judgment on Israel. So he's going where John went. Notice they mention, and it's true, John never did a miracle, yet he had a huge following. Why? Because the Holy Spirit dwelt him, and he was preparing the way for the Messiah. All that John said about this man was what? True. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. What else did John say about Jesus? He is so great, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. You remember that? He must, remember, increase. I must. Decrease. Great Christian bumper sticker. Yes, I know it's long. I must he must increase. Capital H. I must decrease. Let's close with prayer. And um, I can't wait for next week. I love the story of Lazarus. There's a million layers to that Lazarus story. Don't read it and think, I'm gonna skip next week. I, I understand he got raised raised from the dead and Um, Maybe we'll have free food here. You never know. Just kidding. Anyway, those of you on Zoom, thank you for being here. Let's close with prayer and we'll get out of here. Heavenly Father, thank you that we are held tightly in your hand and in Jesus's hand. I can picture it now. And even if I try to wriggle out, there's no way, God. You got me. What am I worried about? Eternally secure in your hand. For that reason, may I be so grateful that I want to obey and live a life that brings honor and glory to you, uh, a life of obedience, Father. Thank you that there's no one stronger than you to take me out of your hand or anyone else out of your hand. Thank you for that assurance, God. Whatever bad things happen now, we, I still know that you're with me, you've got me, and our future is absolutely glorious in your Son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that our God has spoken and that your word is 100% trustable and has never been disproven, but just continues to be authenticated throughout the centuries. Help us to trust it, believe it, obey it, and live it, God. Thank you for this time we could spend in your word. We love you, Father. We can't wait to see you, but in the meantime, use us in the time you've given us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone that you don't know. That's the most important thing. Those of you on Zoom, God bless you. Thank you for being here. We'll see you next time. God bless.